Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you people, my I'm bitching about my phone again. My Yahoo app, my my mail app, has been screwing up, and I want to delete it and then reinstall it. But the problem is, I don't know any of my passwords anymore. Because I used to sit there and put a certain password, and that was it for all my accounts. But then what happens is some of them, you know, they they tell you to redo your password, but you don't need to, but you're thinking I, I should do it. And then they sit there and then you have to add numbers. So I get my password and I add numbers. And then they sit there and they say, you need a capital. So I put the capital and my numbers and all this crap. And then I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, I think I got hacked on my Twitter account and my one Yahoo account. And I wanted to put in another password, but they said I'd used that like ages before. So I want to, I want to put a new Yahoo app in, but I have no idea what my password is for both of my Yahoo accounts. So I, I don't want to sit there and try it. I may have to try it out, but uh, it's just it's just funny. Anyway, we have a great show. Uh, we have a very talented actor, a writer, producer now. And I, I'll tell you, I posted it on Facebook that she was coming on my show today. And I'm, I got likes and more likes. And people were like, <laughs> oh, we love her. And my guest is Kirsten Angus, right? Vangness. 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 But I do like the way you said it. I might take that. I might say, um, can I can I say something about your Yahoo account? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I just play a computer genius on television. I cannot type. I, I know very little about computers. I, everything I've learned, I've learned from her. However, I have that same problem with my Audible account. I keep wanting to listen to this really good new Brene Brown book that's so amazing. Every time I go on my phone, it crashes with it. And so I'm going to have to like clear it all off, but I don't know my thing. But I have an app called one password which i highly recommend i do not work for them this is not an endorsement but you put in and it gives you some crazy bananas password and then it saves it all in yep. this one place but then you have to know that crazy bananas password. no 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 it saves it in the okay. thing so you 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 go to one password to to uh even log into the thing it's, okay it's quite fantastic No, because i have google play i mean the google the chrome all that whatever i have the phone and all that and they're supposed to save them but sometimes they don't save them right and then you sit there like right. my itunes i don't have itunes i think i have six dollars and 37 cents in credits and i don't go on just because, because the, i don't know what it is and i try and then if you do it like four times and it doesn't work then it locks you yeah and then yeah, you're yeah, like yeah. then you're just so yeah. frustrated like I, I, I don't need itunes i know this is when i wish i was penelope garcia oh yeah that's great so now now you're from you're a california kid yeah yeah okay. i'm a i'm a like almost the whole state california kid because i was born in pasadena and then I was raised in Porterville, California, which is in the Central Valley. I, uh, closest big town is Visalia. Uh, it's not, it's very tiny. Um, and then, um, I mean, it's not as tiny as Tarabella right. right next to it, but it's still tiny. Um, and then moved to Orange County, uh, Cerritos. Um, uh, went to school at Cal State Fullerton. Um, went to Cypress Community College. And now I live in Los Angeles. And and uh, I'm so I'm like, I feel like uh, Long Beach is my home. I feel like LA is my home. I feel like. Porterville's my home. Well, that's Orange good, and I'm a co-owner of a distillery in Santa Ana that that we just opened the first craft distillery that's in all of Orange County. So now that makes me feel like I'm more of an Orange County kid. What is what is the distillery for? What? Uh, it is called the Blinking Owl Distillery. It will open uh, this summer. Uh, we just started production. Uh, it's going to make Aquavit gin, vodka, and eventually bourbon. I started with uh, two of my friends. I gotta tell you something, Aquavit. I found that from my Norwegian friends yes. years ago, and they would have it. And the one guy, he was looking for Akavik, and he was looking for a Norwegian beer called Hansa. 
and uh-huh. he went and he found them and they had a Christmas. I went to Christmas at their place one time and we ate so much. It was like uh-huh. traditional Norwegian dinner. And oh, what was it good? Oh, it was so good. But, See, but some they, Norwegian food, there's a, there's a thing online you have to find, you look it up like it's it, people eating Norwegian food and some of it's really bizarre, you know, gelatinous fish and oh, stuff. He, he it, flew across, he flew from Norway back with some of that fish in, in his suitcase. I don't know how he got in there, but the Akavik, I was so stuffed and they're like, try this. And I swear to God. I drank a few sips, and and 20 minutes later, I was ready to drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so oh, good. yeah. It's a good time. Uh, lefsa, though, if you ever eat lefsa. Did you have lefsa there? Is, is that the... It's the potato. It's like a potato tortilla. Yes, yes. And they oh, did it. And makes we had, me cry. And we, so had it with, and we had the cracker with um the... the not the... What's it Pickled called? Pickled herring on it? No, the, the sheep. Uh, 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 not oh, sheep. The, it, it, I can't think of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I know what you like mean. Shortbread, not shortbread, but yeah. it's some weird thing. I'm a vegetarian, so <laughs> what I eat in the in that in that world of Norway is lefse, yeah, which is yeah, bread and butter, butter yeah. basically. So uh, when you were a little kid, did you want to get into acting? I mean, how did this whole path start? Because I know you went through theater, yeah. and you, right, but did you get caught in the bug when you're younger? Um, my my dad was a, a very frustrated. He was an opera singer, very amateur opera singer, but very good. Uh, he was a band teacher. When we moved to Porterville, he would be the lead in every um, in every community theater. The Porterville Community Theater would do these shows, and my dad would be Nanki Poo and the Mikado. My dad would be Tevya. My dad would be Birdie and Bye Bye Birdie. And at a certain point, my mother is off doing stuff, and I'm little. I'm like eight or something. And my dad was so myopically focused on his career. He was like that his whole life. He was like to the point that like, kids, what kids? Like he's busy being a guy of the theater but my mom would sort of be like well i don't know what to do because she's seven and the other one's 10 so figure it out because i'm going to get my master's or i'm trying to make money so we can pay you know for food and stuff so uh, my dad would go and he would be like birdie and bye bye birdie and my sister who's three and a half years older than me would be like one of the teenagers and then i would be at seven one of the elderly people that would go, oh, that birdie, because I had weird posture. I was real weird looking. I was very much bullied by other kids. And my sister was uh, much more ac- a- 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 accepted by the by the general community. I was a real weird looking uh, kid. And I was, I was uh, very imaginative and I didn't have a lot of friends. So that makes you more imaginative. And it wasn't something that I, I mean, it wasn't something... It was fun, but there was always someone better than me. I was always in the background. Uh, so I did that for growing up because it was sort of weird off babysitting. It wasn't really babysitting because I was a kid in these weird community college theater things and there's people doing drugs and drinking and where no one's paying attention to you. Everyone's, you know, they're all actors. Everyone's like in their own little world and you're learning every kind of curse word. You're just sort of like, oh, okay. Um, but then when I got into... Um, it kept falling into me. It kind of kept falling around me. So when I was in junior high, uh, I was in a drama class. But again, I wasn't the person in the drama class. I wanted to be. But I remember my teacher said we had to lip sync a song. And I went to my friends and said, okay, we're going to lip sync this. This is the song we're going to do. And, and the girls that I was friends with, they were all totally from the, they were, you know, from the outskirts of, of, of junior high society too. They're like, we can't do that song. That song's too popular. The other kids will beat us. No, we're doing this song. And we, I was so serious about lip syncing this song. We did it so well. We, we did it for the PTA at school. And I remember my sister being like, you don't do this kind of thing. But it would kind of come to me. I would kind of like show up and get on stage and do something. And people would, oh, that. And then when I got in, we moved here. Wait, what, what, what song was it? 
it was uh, uh the reflex by dran dran um sure. i wanted to change it to view to a kill because then that became the new song um but my my teacher said it was it was uh too new uh but it was a really big deal in porterville because music came to porterville months and months after it came to like pasadena where my grandma lived so i uh, actually wrote a show i'm in the middle of writing a show about this one event right now uh that i i'm i'm half done with and maybe in a few months i'll come back and, and tell you about the, the, this that. show um but uh i we ended up moving to cerritos my dad got uh my dad would get shuffled around uh, he was uh, a very imaginative person and uh very uh, sort of uh, impulsive and he would he he got uh, moved to a different school to teach in, in uh, Orange County and so we moved and I was so bullied that when I moved it was so overwhelming um, to come to a new place and Cerritos where we moved everybody I remember seeing a girl at school and she had a whole outfit in yellow and I remember thinking this is a place where people have so much money that you can have a whole outfit in yellow and I I just just stop talking. I just categorically stopped because I couldn't stand. I just what I just so couldn't fit in. I just had hit critical mass. I just stopped talking. So, uh, so I did terrible in that eighth grade. And then when we got into ninth grade, when I got into ninth grade, my mom said, "Your elective can either be shop or drama. Those are your choices. That's it." And she knew I didn't want to do shop, and so I took drama. And I went into class, and I remember our first assignment. We didn't have to talk. We had to pantomime a thing. And I came up with doing, cleaning my contacts, which I was terrible at and still am, and they'd fall out of my eyes. And I, I really, you know, I worked on this thing and I went to class and I got an A. And it was the first time that I could remember that I had gotten, certainly, you know, in junior high school or then high school, that I got, I gotten an A in something. And then we did something else and I got an A again. And it was, like, oh, I understand this. And I was so interested in it. And I wanted, I wanted to learn about it. And I wanted to, to it was, I wanted to be in service of this thing, which I had always felt like, but I never, I was sort of off in the background doing it. And, and it was like, oh, I'm in a class where I, I don't know, it felt like I could be of service by doing this thing. And then uh, it was the only thing I was good at. And I basically, I had a very tumultuous mm, upbringing and I almost flunked out of high school completely. And that was the thing that, you know, I had a couple of little like hundred dollar scholarships for like, you're a good artist. And, and so I, when I went to community college, I at least had that. I couldn't go to a regular college because I didn't have the grades. But then when I got into college, I, I, re it was like, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn about. And it was just the only thing I was good at. So it's really hard to put down the only thing you're really good right. at. And, you know, people tell you about, about things like that. Uh, Oh, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can, you know, but I, I was always of the mindset. Well, number one, there really wasn't anything else I could do. And number two, if you've opened your Pandora's box, whatever that is, the thing you love, whether it's making soup or, you know, whatever it is, your things, when you close the box, which I have tried to do a couple of times in my life when it wasn't working out, uh, it, it's it's the worst. It's it's a horrible thing for the world and for yourself. So I had, I, I just knew I was going to do it my whole life. I never thought I was going to, I never thought I was going to have a job where I got to do it for a living. I, I I had become quite comfortable with like, okay, I do my plays and I live on cat food. Like I had gotten real comfortable with being the family. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to. I'm not going to use the word I want to use because it's a blue language. But the, you can use it. Okay. I, I got very used to being the family fuck up. And uh, that was just the way it was. Like I knew that I was the failure. 
and that was it. And and uh, the one thing that I can say, that I always go back to, I, I wish that I could, I want to go back in time and tell myself that. And I have my way of doing it because I can tell other people that. Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what uh, society or the world or whatever says your quote unquote credits are. If you have a gone after your dream, the act of doing that makes you inherently one of the coolest people in the world. Because the second you get accolades for it, well, of course, someone's going to think you're cool. Right. But the idea that you're going after it, that's what people write stories about. People write stories about the people that nobody pays attention to, but they still go after that thing. And that is the people that go after those things. It's what makes the world a beautiful place, I think. I, I didn't mean to go off on a big oh, no, no, tangent, but I, that's that's sort of how I got into acting. Well, I agree with you because it's like, you know, you look at someone like Larry David, you know, he was, he went after the writing when everyone's like, he was an average comic and everyone's like, he would get pissed off and walk off stage. He was just very temperamental and he just stuck with it. Now he's, I mean, he's, exactly. he's Larry David. Exactly. And it, I do think there's something to be said for that 10,000 hours of whatever. Because when I did get the fancy day job that is Criminal Minds, None of my friends, none of the theater world, whatever. Nobody was jealous. Nobody was, everybody was like, well, of course. And even to me, I was like, well, it, I mean, I was shocked, but I was like, also like, yeah, I have been, you know, I was the girl who did the show on a Tuesday night, you know, at, at uh, that was in a, a night of one acts. This is a real thing I did. A night of one acts. I was in one of the one acts had the most people. I had two lines in this scene that had the most people, I'd, I'd line at the beginning and line at the end. Then I would get in my car at the end of that show and drive to Anaheim Hills because I was doing an improv show in Anaheim Hills with people I knew from college. And I would do that every Tuesday. And then it, on, you know, on the weekends, I'm doing a different play. And then I'm trying to, you know, like, because that's what I did. You know what I mean? And I still kind of do that a lot. So, I mean, I don't make those kinds of drives anymore. I've right. softened up. But, um. But, you know, it it didn't make anybody feel like, oh, because I was putting in that time. Well, so when you were doing all the theater, when did you start? Because yeah, I know you did a lot of theater and you you were that uh, you start, you're very involved with the theater group. Yes, I'm a member of Theater of Note in Hollywood. And uh, I'm just I'm a member of in general. I'm a I'm a big uh, part of the 99 seat equity waiver Los Angeles, you know, I, movement in I, general. I had Larry Poindexter and Rebecca Metz come on. And yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. That a while ago. When yeah. The vote so, was going on. yeah. So, um, so I'm a big, I'm, you know, I'm, I, of all that whole world, but that's my, my, my artistic home is theater of note, but yeah, I've been in about, I don't know if I already said this. I've been in about two plays a year since I was 14, at least. And still, even with the fancy day job. Now, how did you start transitioning to the TV? How did the whole criminal <laughs> audition come up? I because, like how transition you know, makes it sound like. No, because, no, you know, a lot of times it's theater. It's hard because people, I, I always talk to people who do theater. You know, theater people are really talented. I mean, you know, I have friends who've been in plays where they, they are on Broadway and it's seven nights. I mean, just, yeah. you guys have to work every night. It's not yeah. like, you know, and it's sometimes when you sit there and go to audition, it's people sometimes may look at a resume and go, Oh, it's one of those theater people. Yeah, and you don't realize, like in theater, you you don't get you don't get a bunch of tries right. like you do in a. You don't get you know sound and lights and uh, editing and all this stuff to make this performance. It's just you and theater and and film is so different. I love them both, but um, you know, theater you have this constant wave of communication between you and the audience. And if and and it's always different, you know what I mean. And and so that's you know inherently different. And I always I always uh, some people can really undervalue theater 
as a, a, you know, like, oh, it makes you too big as an actor. It makes you too. And I don't believe that. And I, I still hold true to that. And I could be an actor that maybe someone who's very uh, professional theater judger could say like, well, you, Kirsten, are not a very good television actor. But I would say that when uh, that the body, if you practice if you're, you have to understand, just as a theater actor, you have to understand the relationship between you, the space you're in, and the people you're communicating with, which, it, you know, that, that audience out there. And that you just feel. That's just like a, a feeling. That's a spiritual thing that happens when you're on stage. You're in a 300-seat house. You're, you're, you have a relationship to the space you're in, the, the acting space, the space between you and the audience, and the audience and whatever energy they're giving to you. When you're in front of a, a camera, that camera is, you know, five feet away or a foot away or whatever. You have a relationship between the space you're in, the space between you and the camera. And there's something spiritual still that that space in between me, the person, whoever that is, and the camera that you're like communicating and your body adjusts, naturally adjusts, you know, and I would say the worst thing that happens is that if you just get lazy and used to it, which happens to me all the time, because I've now got, I, if I can, if I do too many days at work and then I go out to for a play, I can sometimes talk a little too quiet. That that would be the biggest problem. <laughs> but, um, but I was, uh, how did um, transition wise was, um, but I, everyone asks me and I'm like, you want to, you want to be famous? You want to be, let me explain. You, uh, be a failure, uh, uh, and have three day jobs and have the credit counseling bureau call you constantly and, um, have everyone feel sorry for you and, uh, not be able to pay a dental bill uh, to the point that, uh, you still have a filling that needs filled, but the dentist won't do it. And, um, and then just do a lot of theater to the point that your family calls you and they want to have an intervention. Um, that's how you do it. Uh, really, it's really simple. And, um, because, I didn't do it like a, everyone's got their own way, but my way was I was plugging along, plugging along. And by plugging along, it's the way that most actors in LA plug along, which means you're not going out for auditions. I mean, sure. There's a group of actors that go out for auditions and we all know them. They go out, they're getting ready to go to a thing and they got a, they got the headshot and the resume and the class and of this. I didn't have the, I mean, I had a picture and a resume that you painstakingly kind of curate for years and you feel, oh no, there's another typo, damn it. Okay, hold on, okay, wait, now I think I cut it down right. It's a little slanted on this, but it's okay. Uh, okay, now these are the, my last three headshots I have because I can only get the 150 of them because I don't have enough money. So it was like that kind of thing. I had an agent that didn't even spell my name right on the, um, I'm not kidding, and I asked them to on the little placard, you know, the little like where they where they use that machine that makes a sticker of your right. name. And I told them my name was spelled wrong and they said, we already made the sticker. Um, when I had brought in new headshots for them, I realized that the last batch of headshots I had brought were sitting the exact place I had left them two years earlier and when I would call. and I, So I was not like, whoa, I'm like clicking along. I would get a thing here and there. I had gotten a commercial here and a commercial there. And you uh, get, what kind of commercial was it? A Dr Pepper commercial? I did a Diet Dr Pepper commercial. So that, yes. Now, now was, that must have been exciting. It's like, I mean, yeah, it, it is that mo. You get this moment. It happens, and you go, "Well, there it is. I'm done. Drop the mic. Here comes the career. You hear that? 
Yeah, that would be my illustrious career. And it doesn't happen. And you're like, I was substitute teaching at the time. And I remember being, and I was a good substitute teacher. So I would see all these teachers. I would be like, legitimately, you're not going to see me for uh, pretty soon. I'm going to be done with this. And then you get these checks. You've never seen this kind of money before. I was making $115 a day. So a good month when I would get a, a paycheck, it would be like a grand. And I would be like, okay, I can pay my rent. And somehow or another, you know, like it, it was like, that was my money. And when you get a check that comes to your house for half of that, you know, all of a sudden one day and you're like $500. And then two days later you get another $200. Then your brain goes, I am a millionaire. I can get anything I want. And you go to big lots and you buy way too much nail polish and furniture because you're basically <laughs> Donald Trump. And, um, and that's and then you just spend all your money and then you're like where did all the money go and then two days later that's the terrifying thing about commercials and two days later you get seventy five dollars and then you get like a three thousand dollar check and you're like oh my god and you don't do anything reasonable with it because you think it's just going to keep happening and then it stops all of a sudden and uh and you're like what happened to that money that i thought i was going to be making nonstop, but you make it for a little period of time right. so it's it's um and then when you're used to poverty you know then it, it, they mash together it, you're not ready for it that would that would it's a terrifying thing when you get success and you're not ready for it so that that happened a couple of times um where i i had like a little bit of like success and i got paid and i would be like look family i'm not a failure and then there would be years and years and nothing and um and i have friends that had that hit it big and or that didn't yet or whatever that had didn't have that you know and I, I i as i say this i think about people out there i'm like don't worry you don't have to don't worry if you're oh she got a national commercial and i didn't so that means there's no way i'm gonna no you can do it from any direction so um so then i had years and years of nothing and then i was really i quit a couple of times i I I had just give and then I just gave up like I am not going to do this for a living I'm just gonna and I had a friend who I did a play with and she had decided to she wasn't working you know which is like a lot of actors we're not you know people aren't working and you figure out different ways of like well how can I make something happen so she started working on the other side of the table and was working at the casting director and brought me in for this and said you're never going to get it uh, they have two lines on this pilot and it, it, they realized it was too guy heavy. So they're casting a girl for just these two lines, but you're never going to get it. Do you want to audition? And there is no freedom to me, like being told, like you can't fail because you've basically already failed. Right. And I went in and I did it and, and, and I got it. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's when the theater training comes in because you, even though I was scared and if you watch that first episode, I'm, I can see the fear in my eyes and I was horrible and I was scared. There was something about that I could prattle off the words and that I had a little bit of opinion with exposition that they brought me in again. And then it was like, oh, she can do this in one take. And they brought me in again and again and again. So I went from co-star to guest star. A co-star in um, TV land is like one or two lines. It's the it's right above background, basically. It's 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 the one I always I always look at because I see a lot of friends on TV. Yeah. That you see when you see the opening credits, they're not on there, but on the end it will say, you know, like such yes. and such as they're the waiter who Dennis says John. like yeah. yes, they're the waiter or the woman with the one line. Like I was that on the show in the first episode, and um, a little a little more featured than that. But for some grace of God, when they did the focus groups, 
I was the highest rated of everybody. And they had, you know, Mandy Patinkin, all these people. So that the the uh, the people at the network were very like, well, can we bring that girl back? Write her in again and let's do another focus group. So they put me in the second one and they did it again. And I remember being there and not knowing why the producers were staring at me like I was one of those a cartoon where, where the wolf is looking at the pig and imagining with an apple in there. But they would look at me like in these weird ways. And I realized they were trying to like, how do we steal her essence and just put it on someone else? Because they couldn't figure out why this girl who really we want to fire her as fast as we can. They wouldn't even I wasn't even they were they had a costume designer, but they were like, bring in your own skirts because they were like, we're not going to use her forever. And so I had to get back my skirts one day for a play audition. And uh, the costume designer went upstairs and said, Kirsten just borrowed back a skirt. And they were like, what? Is she going to do another thing? And then they gave me a series regular contract in the middle of the season. And this and I've it, it's half unheard of. But the stories that I've heard that story now a couple of times from other people. And I would say that the times you hear it are people that we're just plugging away and doing the thing that they love. And I always say like the worst thing that's going to happen to you if you're just plugging away, doing the thing you love is, yeah, you won't be on a TV show that everybody recognizes, whatever, but everyone will be like, oh, have you met Kirsten? She's 102. She's never, nothing has happened, but man, is she happy? She just goes after her dream and she's happy. Like that's the worst thing. But if you go after your dream and you're happy and you're happy about it, about the practice of doing it, something is bound to happen because that was one of the things that kept flipping off in my head like why is it that I'm I think I'm good at this like I get cast in plays I get cast in things but how come those people that I know are getting jobs what's the difference between the people who get paid to do this and me and I think that the difference was they felt like they had the right to be there um and it was a it's something I still have to learn how to do I had like a moment of like I gotta practice that and you practice it you're a little better at it and then then you forget about it but um but it's but it's I mean I'm really grateful that I have this if I didn't have this it's it's managed to merge uh my my theater world and uh uh work I've been able to take the money that I make from this like we have a, a movie right now um called Kill Me Deadly that was a play at note that we've made into a million dollar completely union shot in Los Angeles Everybody was Taft Hartley that wasn't already a union member, including crew. Um, it, this movie that is gorgeous and amazing, and I love it. And it's because of Fancy Day Job that I've gotten to do that. And um, so I'm. It's been. It's a great, wonderful job. I feel like I'm talking so much. No, I'm so it's fine. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. No, it's because that's why you're here. <laughs> I, no, I, I, if it was me talking. I would have my own podcast. You're just. You guys talking. are. You guys are very compelling listeners. I'm like, keep talking, Kirsten. Uh, no, no, you know, you're the fancy day job. Now, when you when you got it, you know, I just said they built you. Know, did you ever think that it would have this length? I know, true, there was a great cast, but you think about TV, and you guys have been on what eleven? We're we're yeah, eleven seasons. And we just we just I think five episodes ago we exceeded Happy Days. The episodes that that's Happy pretty cool. Days, it's crazy. But yeah, you, you sit there because there's so many. I hear so so many so many stories of guests who've been on some shows that are surefire hit. You hear the the staff uh, the the cast you're like oh my god and then they get canceled for six episodes and for your show because it's darker than and at the time when it came out it's not people weren't used to dark tv and your show is very dark very and, dark and it sometimes it, it, it creeps me out sometimes. oh my god it I, creeps me out every time i can't watch it i mean i tell people like you got a choice i will be in it or i could watch it watching would mean i would spend most of my days with kittens 
and baby pandas just petting them. And then I would go for that 45 minutes and watch the show. It's way too violent for me. So, I mean, how, how did the progression start where it started from just that your start to just it getting big? And I don't like- even know. I'm not a, oh God, I'm a theater girl and theater, theater people typically you're busy at rehearsal or at your day job to watch television and you don't usually have cable or a TV. So I didn't have these things until, you know, all this happened. So I didn't even really, sounds terrible. I didn't really care about TV until I was on TV. Now I'm on TV and you, you meet people. You're like, oh, oh, you're on that show. And then it's like theater where you're like, oh, I want to go catch that play. I want to go catch that show because I met this person that's on it. So I didn't, I don't really know because I don't really no offense. I don't really give a shit. I care about making something good. And I'm in a lucky position where the thing that I was sort of concentrating on and making something good became this thing that it is. But I had no idea that this is how I still don't like even when we got I remember getting picked up the first season and they were like, OK, it got picked up. And I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they're going to call me. And then they did. They're like, Kirsten, we're called bringing you back for the next season. And I remember being like, Huh. Well, that's that's cool. And my friends who aren't on the show, are like, oh my god, kiss it! Oh my god! Oh! And jumping up and down, freaking out. And and I was like, it's good, right? It's good. It's a good thing. Yeah, that's good. Okay, good. All right. Okay. Don't have to get a don't have to get a different job. Okay. And it's been like that literally every season. Like right now, I don't know. I forgot it was season twelve. I don't know. I'm so appreciative of. And I've always been like this. Like I am. I'm so appreciative of what I have. And I was raised like that. I was raised with like a, my mom would tell us this uh, fable and she would only tell it when she was washing your hair. And she would only wash your hair if we were at my grandmother's house. And she would only do that. She was in a particularly good mood and she'd finished all of her uh, lesson plans for school. And uh, and she felt like it. So it was very rare that she would wash her hair, but then she would tell us this fable. And I think it was just brainwashing, but it was this whole thing <laughs> about, and I, my sister didn't even care about the fable, but I cared about it very much. And maybe... Uh, I, I have this other show that I've written called Mess about time happening at the same time. Like you'll do something for yourself when you're 14 to take care of yourself when you were three. And maybe if this is true, I was trying to do this with my mother because she would tell me this story about not um, basically just appreciating what you have. And don't you dare get too big for your britches because it'll all go away. And just just be in the moment because if you're not you're an idiot. And so that's how I am. I was never. So right now, I don't know if we're going to have a season 12. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if we are. And I wonder if they'll have me come back. And I know that probably sounds crazy to people because I've seen people's faces yeah, I mean, when I say that. Of course, they have you come back. I don't know. They just, I don't know what they're going to do. Who's going to run the computer? Who's Who going to take care of that stuff? Who is? You. Well, before me, there was, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm very appreciative that it's me. But like I'm I, and I love my job. I mean, I think that's the reason why when everyone go like, what do you think it is about criminal minds? I think if you were to ask me, I think that they hit the jackpot when they cast that little pod of people, whatever that little pod of people is, the combination, the cocktail of our people, personalities in real life. And uh, we all wanted to work together like we were all good at playing playing a team sport where it would be like, oh, you're doing that. I'm going to do this because you're doing, I see what you're doing and I'm going to do this. So like me and uh, Shamar, uh, who is a, a guy who plays Morgan on the, on the show. Um, I remember we did our first scene together and I didn't understand. I was like, oh, what's happening right now? <laughs> it was like, it was like all of a sudden we had chemistry, but I had never 
been in a, you know, you do rehearsal with someone, you're like, oh, we get along well or whatever. But it's not like, hi, stranger, I, I don't really know you. And why are we, we were just vibing with each other really, really well. And, and we all kind of capitalized on that. And it, it, it has managed to keep that up with, uh, in spite of cast changes. I don't think, some people think it has to do with the nature of the goriness of the show. And I, I do think, yes, it's torture porn. And yes, people in the world don't face their own vulnerabilities. So you can watch a show that is makes you scared and gives you these really strong visceral reactions that you won't let yourself have in life um, sometimes. So that's probably part of it. But I think that the undercurrent of these people that actually how everybody works together is what makes the show good. And, and it's what makes it so fun to do. I love everyone I work with so much that like in my my movie Kill Me Deadly Joe Mantegna's in it Shamar Moore's in it Paget Brewster is background in it okay. she, she wanted to be in it so badly like she, you literally see it for two seconds no lines um <laughs> uh but um yeah I love them all I I love them so it makes it easy to do now was baby girl was that written or was that ad-libbed or how did that come about because it's it's like a huge term now. yeah it was it was uh it was it's weird yeah it was I think it was written in there and then he started we would at first when we first started and then it just sort of we got used to it and then well we would call each other on the phone and be like okay because you know oftentimes I would shoot on a different day that he would shoot so he would um call me or I'd call him and be like okay well I did this today or I called you angelfish I would make up a lot of my lines so now it's to the point that they just know that I'll come into work and I'll I'll I learn my lines one way and then I learn my lines the way I want what I want to say and I'll rewrite the whole thing and they let me go they let me do whatever I want now when it first started I would kind of change things and I'd going could I do this no that doesn't make any sense okay and then I'd do it their way and then they'd come in and go could you do it your way once and that would be the take they would use so they started to trust me and and then me and him just started making up all these things and what's been interesting and I don't think it served the show, um, but this is where you learn you're a squatter in a really fancy house. Being on a TV show, that's what you are. You know, they can pull you out whenever they want and and that's, you know, and they can keep you there as long as they feel like it. Um, and it's super fancy, amazing indentured servitude. I'm totally down with it and I'm not complaining. But like they decided, I feel like the network decided at a certain point. I don't know if it's really, we don't really want them. So they kind of tone, they'll tone it down depending upon like, it's sort of like um, how in Hogwarts, when you have a different headmaster there, the the curriculum is different. So it's like if Dolores Umbridge is running the show, all of a sudden the, the curriculum is different. That's how it's, that's how it sometimes has been on our show. If, if, if there was an executive at CBS that for some reason it hit them the wrong way that this quirky girl and this hot guy would be jiving so well, all of a sudden it would be a little less, it would be a little more gone. And then other times it would be their full force. And, uh, you know, there were whole storylines that I know of that writers put in there that were really evocative and interesting. And I really think the fans would have loved them that got pulled because it just wasn't what they thought people would want. And you know, I think that's exactly what they, but okay. Um, and, and, uh, yeah. And then the baby girl thing became this whole thing. Like Shamar has this, uh, this baby girl nation thing that supports MS, which I love. I'm still waiting. He had this one day where he, he'd made the hats and all that. He was like, can you take a picture with the hat? And I said, yes. Can 2% of the hat sales go to theater of note? And he said, absolutely. I'm still waiting for that, for that check. <laughs> Just want to be clear. I'm putting this on air. He knows it's true. It's been years. Um, but I want all the money to go to, to MS, but 2% of the hat sales, I want to go to theater of note. Well, 
that's and, and that's then good. and then we'll and then we'll make a donation to MS because that's how I am. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it just I don't even I'm so removed from pop culture, like I can't even tell you. So like I still get like, what? Oh, how do you know about baby girl? Like someone will call me that. Like, uh huh. <laughs> wow. Like it still doesn't exactly hit me, which I I like it that way. I like being kind of uh, senile about fame. It's good. Well, what's it? I mean, what's it like? As you said, growing up, you were awkward, and yeah. now everyone loves your character. I mean, you don't, you don't. Say, you're one of those characters that people don't go, "Oh yeah, we don't like that guy." You know, they like Garcia. I mean, yeah. every, you know, I saw it from people. He's she's the best part of the show, and people putting comments on my thing. What's that like for you? Because you seem very humble. She's easy to love, and and you know, it's a show that's so scary. Show's so scary. And people want to watch. I imagine people want to watch it. It's at 9 p.m. for God's sake. I think it should be on 1130. Um, so you've got children with you, animals, small animals that are trying to sleep, elderly people with heart conditions. And you're trying to watch this show. And the only part of the show that everybody in the family can take, maybe, unless I'm talking about something super disgusting, can watch. Maybe the very beginning of Garcia picking up the phone. Everybody can watch. And also, you're all scared. And then you see her. So I understand why it's 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 emotionally manipulative that show. So it would make sense that people would be very attached to that character. And I am used to now just people just spontaneous strangers coming and holding me because in their mind I I am safety. Like Garcia knows the answers, and I think about that like how Garcia is, and I I intentionally structured her. I mean we're 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 neighbors certainly we're not the same person at all, but um I structured her. Uh, to be uh, that energy because that show is so dark and it's a lot of stuff that I don't even really subscribe to and I wanted um, a different voice in there and and uh, yeah she's hard not to not to love and uh, yeah and if again it's been good I think the whole upbringing and the you know this hitting later on you know I'm 43 right now and this all didn't happen until I was 30 33 34 um so there's something to be said for like the later in your life it happens the funner it is i would say and i know there's probably people if there's someone listening and they're like i am 76 kirsten you dumb bitch and i have been working at this for whatever i would say but it's it's about the process trust me like if i would have known that the process was supposed to be fun and the pro like you make the process fun it doesn't matter what happens. And if you make the process fun, the act of the process being fun gets you what you want. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. And, in, and I'm sure infuriating to hear when when it's, you know, Kirsten from above the glass ceiling drinking, you know, champagne out of a unicorn horn or something, you know, even though I'm not doing that because I wouldn't do that at all. Yeah, you know, if, if there was a unicorn horn, uh, unicorn horn and, and If it was an old unicorn horn from an, a unicorn that lived a long life, that just I happen to find on the ground, I would dust it off and probably pour some champagne in it. Well, there you go. But as we all just learned, unicorns did exist, but they didn't look like unicorns. They looked probably like stegosauruses. Um, right. Now I want to ask you about the new movie. Mm-hmm. And so now you, it came from a stage play, right? It came from a 99-seat Equity Waiver stage play at Theater of Note called so, Kill Me Deadly. Tell me the whole process, how you got it to the point where you have it <laughs> screening. I mean, it's very interesting that you you took a play and now it's a movie. And that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's, well, it originally was a five-minute late-night show. Uh, we we do we we did a late-night at Note with a bunch of different writers and Bill Robins, William Robins, the guy who wrote this. He writes these amazing spoofs. We did one at Note uh, a couple months ago, 
in the uh, winter called uh, Rio Hondo, which was a spoof of a Western. And a bunch of us from Kelly Dudley were actually in that. I played uh, Iris, the blind gunslinger. So he's really good at writing these like send ups of a genre. So he wrote this five minute late night. And this is this is so long ago that this is probably two years before I got Criminal Minds. And I auditioned for that role and I got it. And so we did it as a five minute late night for, you know, three people at 1130 at night. And then he wrote a few more scenes of it. And then we did it in another thing with a bunch of other stuff at eight o'clock. Then he wrote a full length. And we did that. By that time, I was on Criminal Minds. And I remember it got a really good write-up. Variety. Note had never been in Variety, I don't think. And we were just all elated. And uh, it was really fun to do. And then the movie was over. And then maybe about, uh, oh, it was a while after that. We started talking about, like, how do we, how do we uh, take something? I wanted to take something and and make it into a film. I I know all of these people that write content, me and a bunch of other people that I know, let's pick something and let's just try. So we figured that that would be the easiest one because it was the one we had most recently done. Um, We had all the designers and all the actors on board. And so we took a short part of that play um, that takes place in a, uh, like a, we called it Tony's Liquor Lounge, which we filmed at Musso and Frank's. And we shot it and we shot it all ourselves. Um, Derrett Sanders, who became our uh, director of it, who also is in the movie, he built a dolly for that. And we we did it all ourselves and we shot it. And I remember showing it to everybody at work because I wouldn't have the money to pay everybody and do it if it wasn't for the people at work. And I, I brought it to work to show everybody. Um, and everybody was so excited. And I remember Matthew Gray Goobler saying to me, like, you can't let I said, what are you gonna do with that? I said, well, I think we're gonna shop it around see if someone wants to help us he goes no you can't you have to make this movie like people don't make movies like this like you have to make it they won't know how and then uh, uh joe mantania came up to me and said i will sign a letter of intent to do this movie in blood it's like oh okay so um so then what happened was i would just go to my business manager and say i need to take out as much money as i can and i can so that i can still have you know money in there to pay things I'd take the money out go shoot stuff uh, and that's what we kept doing. It's an over million dollar movie, but it is because we paid everybody a living wage. And um, it's it's a gorgeous piece of art. It's like the Maltese Falcon and um, Airplane had a baby. It takes place in the 40s. It's completely in black and white. It's like you're watching a movie from the 40s with 40s actors, but the speed of the comedy is very current. But everything else, the language, it's very heightened. It is a family friendly. Uh, I would say I would say a very, very, very smart seven year old could go. It's just there's a lot of language. So it could get boring for a kid. Um, and it's a movie to be seen with other people. It's it's funny if you watched it in your living room. It's funnier if you watch it in a room full of people because there's so many jokes and the jokes aren't winked at that you have to watch it to really see what's what's happening. Um and I'm I'm really I'm quite proud of it. It took us a long time. It was no nepotism. It was no going to people at work and being like, "Hey, how how do you do this?" We just figured it all out ourselves. And um, and I'm incredibly incredibly proud of it. Leslie and Down is in it. Paul F. Tompkins. Um, a lot of uh, and it's gorgeous. It's it's beautiful and gorgeous. And it took uh, forever to make. And the next time we make a movie, we'll we'll do it a little different. But we learned a lot of lessons. And um, we're all still amazing, great friends uh, now at the end of it. And I have actor friends and uh, hair and makeup and prop people now that are working on shows in Hollywood 
that they're they got their first job from doing Kill Me Deadly that are now like union people. And to me, that is worth every penny that we spent on that on that movie. So you get the movie done, mm-hmm. and now now what was? Did you have any insight because you're producing it? No, into, I no, we had no insight. But did Pro- you? Yeah, we had nine producers. I was the executive producer, which means I'm the one that throws money at it. Okay. We had different people. All of us that had different modalities that we were good at. Um, my dear friend who co-executive produced with me, John Money, he is amazing with spreadsheets and numbers and getting gathering the groups of people and things. Um, and then you know, then you just go like, okay, what what do we do now? What you know, you look at a book and you would, what do you do? Uh, distributor. Okay, distributor. And you know, I know that there are people that went to college for this and have done tons of movies and know exactly who to call and what to do. But I mean, I knocked on every. I sat. I would get meetings, but it's like this is great. Like it's great. I yes, Les Moonves, the head of CBS, will sit down and talk with me about my movie. And I sat him down. Here's this, and you know, they go like, great good for you and you realize that like the reason why these people have so much money is they will not give you their money They're like no no i'm not gonna like good let me know how it goes that's great um but you know we went to a we got a distributor uh, we just got one indican films and uh, they've been great and now what happens with the distributors now they take that movie and they decide how to distribute it so uh, i always wanted a distributor that would at least get us into some run of a theater for some period of time. So our our dream is coming true in right now with that. Um, if we do well this week in Los Angeles, we'll go to New York and Chicago. Um, but, um, you know, the nature of things now is that the people really want to get things into video on demand and so that you can see it in your house and all that. So um, that probably will be something that's coming up relatively soon. Um, and yeah, I know so little i you know I, I would encourage people if there's something you want to do just just slog away and eventually it'll start happening you won't understand it like i do, i don't understand half of what like i'm constantly like wait what's what are we doing now what's i mean i just finally knew what vod means that means video on demand right. if anyone doesn't know <laughs> i didn't know so now, now now what was it like seeing when it, it opened friday right Yes. Okay, and it's at the Lemley in Beverly Hills. Uh, yes, on uh, that uh, I always say it wrong, but the Lemley on uh, Wilshire and La Cienega in Beverly Hills, and the Araya, Araya, it's either yeah, I think it's Araya, A H R Y A Fine Arts, eight five five six Wilshire Boulevard, and uh, you would get tickets at Lemley dot com, L A E M M L E dot com. Now, what's it like when you finally saw it, like for the first night in the screen uh, and there's people there because you know, we've it's a seen labor the, of your love. Yeah, we've and, seen it. We've we've had a lot of screenings. We had crew screenings. We had um, we were accepted to the Film Noir Festival in Paris, France, and we went to Paris and, and watched it there right after the terrible bombings that happened, which was uh, just to talk about a, a, a community, uh, a, a place in the world taking making alchemy and just being so full of love after something so scary and and uh, you know, segmenting uh, happened with them, but it, we we uh, we did that, and so every time it's different. You know, when you, when you watched it, when we watched it, the last time I watched it with a room full of people was in Paris, and with subtitles, and that was interesting because they were very quiet, very quiet, very quiet, and then there would be a couple of jokes, and they would lose their minds, and there were jokes that they you know, laugh here, but not like how they did there. Specifically, anytime we made fun of British people, which we do a couple times in the movie. Um, and uh, then, but this one was fascinating because it was a 400 seat theater. None of us had any idea how many people were going to show up. We were two thirds full. There was 
kid, I was standing outside and there was this kid and I vaguely remembered him and I was like, do I know you from somewhere? And he said, yeah, you met me uh, at Hamburger Mary's. You were doing the drag queen bingo and you said hi to me and you met my friend. And I saw this on Twitter for you. And so I invited some friends. So him and his friends show up. There's like nine of them. They all have like nose rings and purple hair and they're just, they're fantastic. They're all in the middle row. They just look so disaffected and just like serious. I'm like, those are the ones like, I'm very curious what those guys think. My mom brought like 10 of the teachers um, and uh, uh, Joe Mantegna came and Aisha Tyler and it was all full up. And the movie, I was watching it. We were all commenting, all the producers were like, did we recut it? Why are we so good tonight? We were all like complimenting each other because most of us are actors in the show. I was saying to Dean Lamont, my uh, fellow star, and I was like, you're quite good this evening. Uh, it, it was literally like, we're watching a different movie. There was like, I don't know if it was the sound system. I don't, and I love the movie, don't get me wrong, but particularly on Friday night, that was a good show. And uh, it was really like theater. It was like watching like, it was like a different thing depending upon the, the crowd or, or whatever. And these kids at the end, I came up to them and I was like, what did you think? And they're all completely straight faced. And then one of them was like, it was everything. And I was like, it was every, it was everything. <laughs> and, um, and I've actually had, what's cool is that like, I did an interview with a girl the other day and she was like, oh, I've watched the screener three times. I'm bringing friends. You, oh, oh okay, great, wonderful. And I had friends from other, and it seems to appeal to um, to the weirdos, which is really my people. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Anything with airplane, you know, meets Maltese. I mean, you, you can't go wrong because it's yeah. two classics. Like, you know, we, we talk about the movie Airplane and, and if you're older, it was just so different and just so damn funny and you hadn't seen anything like it. Yeah. And then it became police story, then police. And those movies are great because people love that. I always say, not bad comedy, because it's not bad comedy. It's it's in your face, dumb comedy somewhat. is hard to write because right. it's so smart. When you sit there, you know, you look at these movies and you go, God, that is so stupid, but it's so damn funny. Right. And people want that because now I think so many people are just so highfalutin in comedy and it's like right. we just need a I little i kind of wish like we made it a little dumber it's it's got like it's like it's like one third maltese falcon like i don't know 17 percent airplane with like it's it's a different it, it but it is different this this is a different kind of a movie you you uh trust me you've not seen something like it it's different now uh the theater well you've done the theater and you've done the movies now writing i know you co-wrote a few episodes of criminal Minds. i co-wrote i co-wrote uh i've co-wrote an episode last year where we um we offed uh, Gideon, the, which was Mandy Patinkin's character, um, and then we did an episode this year, a very pivotal episode. I don't know how, I don't want to give anything away. Uh, it was a big deal. Someone, someone in our our group, uh, they didn't die, but they um, they moved on, and um, so I I co-wrote that, and uh, it was really it was really 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 special. And co-writing, at least the way I've done it, means that I co-wrote both episodes with. Erica Messer, our um, our executive producer of the show, and the way we do it is I write two acts, she writes two acts, and then we swap, and we give each other notes, and then we swap, and you keep swapping until eventually you can't really tell, you know, where one starts and where one begins. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I did that, and I'm a playwright. I have a couple of plays that I've written, and um, I continue to perform. I have a show called Mess that I do a lot in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm just right now, now that I, I just went on hiatus for criminal mind. So I'm right now being like, I need to do my show again. Um, so I'm, I'm probably in the next uh, couple of weeks going to have some sort of at least date of when I'm doing that again. Um, 
that well, mess is a one person show. Yeah. Now, I don't know why I hate the words one person show, but it is exactly that. It's one. That it must, is because it's just me in it. That must be. That's one of those things I always sit there right. And there's so many that are so good out there that it must be hard to write because it's when it comes to you, it's personal. It's your baby, and it, I think we're more sensitive if you put it out there and if people go, oh, that sucks, you're like, yeah. no, that, that's me. Don't yeah. say it sucks. Yeah, and you know, I, I I always do this workaround of like, it's not really you. It's never really you. You know, it's it's sort of you, and it's not you, and I always tell my mom it's all lies, and um, and it all, like, it all kind of works out, but I've, it, to me, when I first did it, um, it was a different show than it is now. It's like a living document to me. I kind of keep rewriting it and changing it and trying to make it better. And I think eventually it'll be like, okay, this this is what this is. And um, uh, but yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. I I really like it. I um I like to write things that answer questions for me because that way when I'm doing it, I'm not doing it like look at me do a voice or do a thing. I'm practicing or I'm moving through the question that I'm curious about so or questions and so that keeps me really active that's what keeps me active when I act anyway so as a writer when I write something I want to write something that gets me there that gets me to like grab onto something and and roll those questions around if I can if I can make that happen um you know then then that's good it's it's a it's um it's a strange little show that I'm 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 quite I'm quite I'm quite proud of and I just like I said started writing another one um, that I'm half done with and put up like half as like a, a, a fundraiser this last year. And I, I kind of need to write a second one. Otherwise, I, I'm just like, you've just written one. I've written one full length play, one this one that I need to write more, you know, more things. But I ju- it's sort of like I just kind of started doing that. I, I want to figure out how people do that. Like, how do you how do you write, write, write and then act, act, act at the same time? I'm working on that. Now, would you ever write more, try to write more TV scripts? Like, let's say, yeah, uh, I actually wrote a pilot this year um, uh, for ABC. It did not, it did not get, um, you know, picked up. But um, it was, it was really good, and I really like it. I think it's, it was a little too weird um, for TV right now. Um, and I co-wrote it with. I think that's why I can say it was really good. I co-wrote it with my friend um, Phineas Kiyomura, who, by the way, has a play running right now at a theater of note called Frazzled that opens uh, next weekend. Um, and uh, yeah, he, um, we, we wrote this thing, and, and uh, uh, so I actually have started to do that. It's I'm I I I think I'm selfish about things I write. It was hard to write the pilot because I knew writing it. I'm not writing apart from myself. Sounds terrible to say, but it's just no, that's honest. normal though. Um, I I'm not writing something. I'm writing something to put out there, and I don't. It's not that I need a part. It's that I made this thing, and I am a control freak a little bit, and I want to touch it, have my hands on it, and, you know, whatever. And and um, so I think it's that part that that uh, kind of um, yeah. I'm still learning about it because I think I'm coming to the conclusion that when you write, you're basically writing about all of the questions that you have as a person and you're just constantly rolling through them just with different proper nouns. And I have to be at peace with that because I think the thing that happens, you sit there, I'm going to write the new thing, my new thing. And right now I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a new play and I'm like, this is the same shit that you usually ask questions about. <laughs> but I know it's the new thing with the new words. That's what I do. And also I try to do Steve Martin impressions apparently when I when I do that. Hey, it's always good. The we, new thing. I love Steve Martin. As do I. Uh, we have a few minutes left. 
Um, how many times do people come up to you that day and call you Garcia? I mean, is that something that constantly uh, I would happens? say more than not, people come up to me during the day and call me Abby. Okay. From uh, who is the goth character from NCIS, and I just go yes because <laughs> I basically am a blonde Abby, so I'm just going to agree with them. But that happens. I don't a uh, couple times a day. I would say if I'm out in the world, I would say that just on a regular, like going out, like going grocery shopping, a couple times. And now the wardrobe. Did you do you choose the wardrobe now? Uh, no, 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 no. I I am a weird, you know, a theater girl. We all sort of dress in our own way, and I'm a, a you know, uh, that's I've always dressed like that. My my junior high school drama teacher came to Kill Me Deadly and and the other night, and she was telling my mother. She said I'd never seen someone dress with such chutzpah. She was like a we, and you know, I was like round, n- terrible posture, but I would make these clothes. And she said, you know, how much you got bullied and how you would just wear these things and that like you made them up. I make them up with like newspaper and tempura paint and I had no business wearing them like dresses that didn't zip up all the way. And I just fold them backwards and say it was a V-necked back, like just things. And uh, so I've always dressed oddly. um, And I feel like because my body can pull that off because I always kind of dressed a little eccentric that then they could make Garcia kind of do that because I it. It would be weird if you saw me in pants and a pair of pearls. Like that would be a pantsuit, not pants. Right. I can wear pants. But um, like, you know, just like something, you know, like that would be weird uh, if you saw Kirsten in that. I like playing characters where I, you know, wear simple things. It just happened to be that my first break was a, a character very close to me. We dress different, but we're definitely both kind of eccentric dressers. Now, do you tweet a lot? I know you I have you have like 550,000. You have a ton of followers. That, I think I do amazing. have a lot, yeah. No, that's like, you know, 550,000. Is that a lot? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. like some people, you know, are happy when they have 20,000. Some people are happy when they have 100,000. I've had guests on who are ecstatic they have 250,000. You have 550,000 followers. That's it. Now, do you tweet a lot? I, I, tweet, I don't tweet like, I'll see like 20,000. I think I have a good three. I have a healthy, I'm in the healthy uh, single thousands right now. But I, I, I try to tweet, I either tweet to promote, uh, you know, foundations and things that I feel passionately about. And I will use my day job like a little carrot. I will hang a picture up of me like, ooh, look what shoes is she wearing. Hey, donate to Alex's Lemonade Stand. That's how I do it. Um, So I do that and a lot of stuff for Theater of Note. And, and every once in a while, you know, it's like you got this fancy job and you're like, hey, look, Danny Glover's here. Let's take a picture of Danny Glover and then talk about it. Um, So yeah, no, I, I tweet a decent, I, I, a decent tweet. I would say that, you know what, it for as, what I lack in the amount of tweets, they're hardy tweets. I very rarely just, I don't random tweet. Okay, well, what's your Twitter handle? At Vangsness, V-A-N-G-S-N-E-S-S, and my Instagram is at Kirsten Vangsness, K-R-S-T-N-V-A-N-G-S-N-E-S-S. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. This thank you fun. for having me. This is fun, and, and go see the movie, people, and then please go see, and she'll tweet about it. So follow her on Twitter. Yeah, follow then, me on Twitter and tell me you went to go see it. Take a picture of the uh, of of your ticket, and, and you don't have to, but you know, like take a picture of your. I want to see you by the beautiful marquee. I want to see your beautiful little face. Please. So, so follow her on Twitter. Also follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot, and especially during the political stuff. I just I tweet jokes. Some people get mad. I'm like, I don't tweet them to be political. I just tweet. Also go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have 495 episodes up there. Tons of actors, writers, directors. Go check it out. Email me, Cooper at coopertalk.net. I will get back to you. Tell me what guests you want to hear. You know, I, I try to get I try to be very aggressive with getting my guests. Not overly he is, aggressive. He was so aggressive with me. I was. I called, you know, I, I sent her a message and she got back to me. There was like me. a stuffed animal in my 
<laughs> post office box. So do that and go to uh, iTunes and Stitcher. That's uh, Cooper Talk one word. Instagram, Cooper Talk one. I post a lot of food pictures, which brings me back to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. You know, when I had my health problems, I uh, I wrote a cookbook. It's uh, 120 low sodium recipes. You can go to StopTheSalt.com. No pictures to intimidate you. No big long lists of ingredients because you get scared. So that if you don't have cumin, don't worry. There's no recipes with cumin. <laughs> so go to StopTheSalt.com. You can get it at Barnes and Noble or amazon.com but if you get it from them i make less money so if you go to stopthesalt.com i will sit there i will sign it for you i make twice as much money so get it from them so please follow kirsten on twitter follow me at cooper talk i'm steve cooper i'm only as hip as my guest don't forget drink your water eat your vegetables take your vitamins and i will talk to you guys next week